0: Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of the Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts.
2: Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman, and today it's so exciting to be joined from London by Chibundu Onozo, who was born in Lagos, Nigeria, and now lives in London, as I mentioned, a fellow of the Royal Society of Literature and regular contributor to The Guardian. She's the winner of a Betty Trask Award, the author of Welcome to Lagos. Sankofa is her third novel. Welcome to Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I, I said this uh, before we were taping, but The US launch of Sankofa has been really phenomenal. And so congratulations. Thank you,
1: thank you very much.
2: So Chibundu, one of the first things, once I noticed something in the book, I couldn't unnotice it. So I wanted to ask you about that right away. Mm -hmm. Your main character, Anna Bain, decides after her husband cheats on her that she may or may not divorce him, but, she is going to go back to her family name,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which just happens to be Graham, Anna Graham. Tell me tell me about that.
1: Yeah, it's so funny now. I'm thinking about it. I think her marriage name is Graham and her family name is Bane.
2: That makes more
1: sense. Yes, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's the other way around. I think she starts off as Anna Graham and then... Decides that she's going to go to go back to Bain, um. But um, I know she does. <laughs> she does. She does go from from a married name back to her sort of the name she had when she was born, um. And I think it's just sort of part of you know how the main character is on a quest, on a search, on a journey, um. And so I think, yeah, that's why that's why she does it. She sort of trying to figure out again who she is at 48 and I think yes it's never too late for someone to start that journey of self-discovery or restart that journey of self-discovery or decide that the first journey of self-discovery they took I don't know at (laughs) 18. Yes exactly (laughs) I do I'm I'm gonna try again and yeah. Yeah and so you put
2: her in a position where she is primed to go and um, seek something that that Mm. everything she kind of knew has fallen away her mother has just died her husband as we mentioned had cheated um she tried to have a career as an architect and was into art but those never really took and so she's really looking for something Mm. and she finds in her mother's possession this diary um, of a man who she comes to realize is her father. Tell me about that diary.
1: Um, so, yeah, she finds this diary from a time when her father was a student in London. So it's a diary that's, that predates her birth, actually. Um, and it's an account of her father's student life in London when he was a young 20-something-year-old West African student moving through a London that was still at that time fairly segregated, fairly racist, Um, and his own account of the interracial relationship that he began with the woman who ended up being Anna's mother, even Mm -hmm. though at the start of the account, she's just a woman that he's met. Um, And the diary was inspired by research I did for my PhD. So I researched a group called the West African Students Union and a lot of its members went on to be prominent West African politicians. It was based in Camden Town in London and its members came over as students and then returned home after their studies to go on to grand political careers. Um, And I read a lot of first person accounts of these members. I read their memoirs, I read their letters sometimes but usually they're memoirs and so I had access to that first person voice of these mm. young men and it was mostly men um and I just knew I wanted to use it in you know. Um, and it was actually um thing thing I had to decide early on in the novel whose story is this I think I ended up with deciding it was Anna's story but um having those those diary entries was a way to bring in a lot of the the research that I had done.
2: Yeah. And you, I mean, you make Francis Agri's voice. That's the name her father had when he was, when he met her mother. Um, so distinct that she gets to, I don't know if, would you say like she gets to kind of fantasize about him and fantasize about like the, the good person that he might be.
1: Hmm. Yeah, she does. I mean, I guess most of us are curious about what our parents were like Mm -hmm. when we were our age and what it would be like. Um, And so, yes, she really, really connects to her father as a 25-year-old man and then has to go again to realize that, well, he grew up after that slice of history. Um, And it's funny, actually, when you look at a lot of leaders of that era you do connect to that time in their life because that's the time in their life when they were the underdog. Um, so if you look, again, if you read these accounts, you know, you will hear Kwame Nkrumah writing about, that was the first prime minister of Ghana, you will hear him writing about being turned away from white establishments. You you know, you, you sympathize with them. They're not the powerful men that they're going to become. Um, and so, of course, you know, she's, you know, she understands this man. She understands this man who has to, to face racial discrimination she understands you know because she's had to face racial discrimination she understands all of that what she doesn't understand is what comes after yeah how, yeah. how does this man who is so sympathetic as a 25 year old how does he end up being kofi ajay <laughs> the feared leader the feared beloved leader of Bamano?
2: don't let the stress of daily life weigh on your body Whether you're an elite athlete or someone like me just trying to make it through the day tension-free, Theragun can help. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good, it gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you wanna treat your muscle tension from working out, an injury, or the stresses of everyday life, there's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. Just go to their site and check it out. And the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. Try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. Go to therabody.com slash Maris right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's therabody.com slash Maris. Therabody.com slash Maris. Tell me about the fictional country of Bamana and how you... um, conceived of it? Mm
1: -hmm. Sure. Um, So I decided to go with a fictional country just because I felt that the real West African countries had very real histories. So it would be difficult to superimpose my own first prime minister on the real first prime ministers that there had been. Because, and I guess nations have that, you know, the first leader of a country lose very large international imagination. So you see the first president of America, George Washington. It is very difficult to put any other name, yes. any other name there because, you know, the history is so real, it's so taught. Um, so I was like, no, it has to be somewhere fictional. Um, and so I went about creating a country, but I also wanted it to feel real. So I didn't want it to be just fictional and project anything into an African space. I think sometimes I get quite annoyed with that actually. So any people just treat Africa as some sort of like blank canvas and like anything you want, you can put it. So I didn't want to call it like manga bunga dinga or something. I, I didn't want to just mm-hmm. make up some funny, some, some, some funny sounds and say, okay, that's an African country. Um, so I, I, and I guess my PhD research came into this. So um, Ghana, the real life Ghana used to be called the Gold Coast. Um, And it was a common practice for Europeans to name their former colonies, or their colonies at the time, after the natural resources that they extracted from these colonies. So you also have Ivory Coast. Ivory Coast is still called Ivory Coast still today. Um, And so I decided on Diamond Coast. So that would be the natural resource extracted from my own fictional country. Um, And then Ghana, present day Ghana, is named after a very real, Ancient West African kingdom that isn't geographically where present-day Ghana is situated, and so I did the same. I looked through the list, of, and I and I still say that in the book a little bit to sort of give a hint as to how Kofi in the book ended up choosing Bamana as the name for his country. He was reading a book about ancient pre-colonial African kingdoms, and you know Bamana is one such kingdom. Um, so hence I called my fictional country Bamana, and so on and so forth. I, I sort of try to make it make it as real as possible, Um, the languages. And it's not just, it's mostly based on Ghana. But then I also wanted to draw in themes or ideas from other African countries. And you see there's some food names that are from Southern Africa, for example. And I do that because I do think also that the story of Bamana could be the story of quite a few um, post-colonial African countries, which we started off with a lot of euphoria and and enthusiasm and a lot of leaders that promised heaven and earth and um, didn't quite deliver. Um, In fact, quite a few were incredibly disappointing.
2: Yeah. And so by the time Anna decides to perhaps leave her regular life behind and pursue Mm -hmm. her father, they're at a point in history where People say that Kofi is maybe, or maybe not a dictator. Mm. And you see a complete 180 from, from the man that she found in her diary, mm. in his diary, sorry. Um, tell me about her expectations. Um,
1: hmm, that's interesting. What are her expectations? I mean, so she knows who she, he becomes, right? Yes. So she, she, googles, she she googles him before. Um as, as one does. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, so you know, she knows it's not a secret. It's not like she gets there and she's expecting to find that he's a doctor and it's like, oh, he's now the president. Uh-oh. Um, no, so she knows who he becomes. But I think she can't help but have these expectations because she's read the diary, you know, so she's sort of She's wanting to meet the man from 48 years ago and almost trying to find out or see, is that 48 year old Francis that I read about, is he somewhere inside this strong man, former prime minister, grand political figure? And yes, yeah, she's just trying to reconcile the two. Um, what are her expectations? I don't know. She wants to connect with the man in the diary, basically. And so yeah, she's quite bullish about that actually. She doesn't she doesn't want to she doesn't want to meet Kofi. She wants to meet Francis.
2: Right. And and in in her head, they are two distinct people. Mm-hmm. And, and that distinction, I, I, I think, becomes more pronounced as she gets to know coffee.
1: Mm. It's
2: it's a cliche, right? That you mentioned in the book that power corrupts. That's that's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you tell me how you draw the line in his character from Francis to coffee in his ideals versus his realities and how you prepare the reader to be both disappointed in him and have compassion for him because Mm. it's impossible not to.
1: So I think I, so once you leave the diaries, you never get to see into what Francis slash Kofi is thinking again. So you Mm -hmm. never have access to his internal sort of thought process or his internal voice. And that's on purpose actually, because in a sense, I don't know who, Coffee is, that's, that's the question that I'm also trying to resolve mm-hmm. as I'm writing the book. I too, like most West Africans, or most, of, most Africans who sort of have this sort of colonial to post-colonial national history, I too don't understand how these independence leaders who promised heaven and earth. I didn't understand how they became the men they became. I didn't understand how they became the detectives. I mean, for a few, it was clear how they became, that they were always opportunistic and all of that. But you definitely had quite a few that were principled people, that were idealistic people, that did have big dreams. And that were, to all accounts of of them, that did seem quite sincere. And yet. (laughs) And yet. (laughs) And yet. So I think... That's the question that I'm trying to answer. And I don't mm-hmm. know that, that um, I reconcile it. I think um, what if you if I had a chance to confront these sort of men, mm-hmm. I think really what they would say is it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and I think they also they, they can't reflect too much on the journey that they have taken from the idealistic young men that they were because I think your own sense of self will sort of crumble. Most people, even the people who do the most dastardly and evil actions, they justify, you know, there's a reason. There's always a good reason why people justify the things that they do to themselves. Um, and so yes, no, no one, um, yeah, it's difficult to ever fully understand that journey that they made.
2: Yeah, and this is embodied Um, in the, I'm sorry if I pronounce this wrong, correct me, Kanakro 5, Mm. that Anna has Googled (laughs) and and, um, found this act that looks entirely like stifling young Mm -hmm. activists who Mm -hmm. might have reminded him of himself. Mm. But when Anna asks Kofi to talk about it, there's there's no direct answer, and I really admire that mm. from you,
1: not from him. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I went. I met him. I met. I went to a, a, a talk once with a former African president, and I asked him a question like that in the Q and A section. It wasn't like a um, Kina Five type of thing, but he presided over a military that had been very undisciplined and had. The, the military, as I said, there's, there's no direct between him and those military atrocities, but under him, the army had con- committed certain atrocities. And I asked him a question about this incident. And, you know, similar to, to Kofi, there was no direct answer. He sort of blustered, first of all, he wasn't he he was the one, you know, I was sitting Of course, in he Gaza. didn't pull the trigger. And, yes, he didn't pull the trigger, of course not, and, and you know, so on and so forth. But definitely... He didn't, in his own mind, when he goes to bed, he has convinced himself, I didn't do anything wrong. Um, and like, you know, it would take like, I do not know, maybe two of us in a locked room and it's like, you can't leave, you can't leave until you face up to your crimes, you know? <laughs> That's a good fantasy. <laughs> um, for that sort of admission to take place. Um, But yes, yes.
2: And one thing we didn't talk about yet is that Anna's childhood, of course, this means that because she doesn't know her father, she's been raised by her white mother and by her white family. Um, and, And at one point she says, I'm gonna find it, that their denial of racism is farcical and almost sinister tell me about that
1: hmm so her her family members are well-meaning especially her mother yeah yeah um they mean well um but if you keep telling somebody that an apple is an orange when they know it's an apple like then it's like you're going to start making them feel crazy <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and this is what happens with Anna. they sort of in wanting to protect her from racism, they want to deny its existence, but it's like, but it's happening. People are uh, making these slurs. You can't just say, I'm just like you. You have to give me an identity that, that I can be proud of because even if you say I can claim white identity within the four walls of this house, once I step outside, everyone is going to challenge that claim.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. And I spoke to a couple of friends who were biracial, Um. And one of them, one of them said that, that, you know, he knows his mother loved loved him. He knows all of his, his mother was loving, but that she couldn't understand that he needed to be proud of being black. Not to be told that there's nothing wrong with being black, but Mm -hmm. to be told that there's something right with being black. There's something fantastic about being black. There's something great and wonderful about being black. And, you know, she couldn't, give him, she, she couldn't give him, or she didn't understand how to, to fulfill that sort of basic basic human need that we all have to be comfortable mm. in our skin to be proud of our skin. Yeah.
2: And and so when Anna journeys to Bumana, she experiences the opposite of that maybe for the first time, which is, um, again, correct me if I mispronounce, but She's called an a brony, which means white woman in mm. in the language.
1: Tell me about Yes, that. Yeah, she's called a brony, which means yeah, a white person, just generally you know, people use white <laughs> woman I you want to man. specify. <laughs> yeah, people, yeah, people use it for, for a man. It's just yeah, a so brony. Um, and you know, she's called that because you know she's lighter skinned than the general populace. And so in that context, again, she stands out. Um, and I think that's what's sort of interesting to explore with Anna's journey because she's raised by white people and she marries a white man and her daughter to all to most people who look at her looks white. She's never looked like anybody in her family and then she goes to Bamana and she still doesn't look like anybody there. So it's sort of like um, that um, yeah, that's quest that she's on and I think yeah, that's part of her journey to Bamana, and sort of thinking of it in her head, expecting it to be this place that once I arrive, everything will make sense. And, you know, life is not a Disney movie. So <laughs> sometimes it doesn't, um, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't turn out like that. And
2: when Anna gets to Bamana, she stays in a very fancy hotel
1: mm-hmm. where
2: all of her comforts are s- seen to. Mm-hmm. And so it's, of course, not on the scale of her father's excesses, mm-hmm. but it is a skewed vision of, of Bumana. Mm.
1: I guess. I mean, is it a skewed, a skewed vision? I mean, this is, this is something she asked herself. And I mean, this is a, an image of Africa that, you know, Africans living on the continent, often there's often that tension. Okay, yeah, so she goes to the hotel. And it's true, most people in Bamana don't live like that, you know. And so then she goes to the village. Uh, you know, when she's walking through a village, she says, is this the real Bamana? Mm. Is this more real than the hotel? And I think the truth is both are the real. Both, real. Um, both are the real Bamana. I think the problem is when one person tries to say, oh no, don't tell that story of the village, you know, because it's making us in the cities look bad, you know. Um and then that's where you get a thing. or people say, only tell the story in the village because 50% or 70% of the population live like that. So only tell that story. And so then once you swing to, to either, you swing to those extremes. So then if somebody meets an African that has, you know, enter the plane or an African pilot, for example. They're like, no, it's not possible because mm-hmm. the only images of Africa they've seen are people in villages. They're like, no, it's not possible. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you don't want to deny the existence of the way people, so both are the real, the real banana, I think. Right. Yeah.
2: Anna sees something disturbing in the village and her first impulse is that she is gonna help. And um she's going to fix the problem. And and that's something I've seen so many times um, in America uh-huh. <laughs> amongst my friends and colleagues. Uh-huh. Um, but it seems like maybe this is the first time that Anna was in
1: that position. Uh-huh. Yes, because I think when Anna lives in, in England, she doesn't really feel privileged actually. Um, she is. I mean, okay, if you, if, to an outsider, I mean, but I, this is what I was saying to someone like, you know, Anna is sympathetic to herself. So an outsider might say, you have all this privilege, you know, you married this rich man, you know, stop whining. But she's like, well, no, my problems are still my problems. <laughs> so in England, she doesn't feel particularly privileged. You know, her husband has cheated on her. She doesn't have that much financial independence, all of that. You know, but then she comes to Bermana and then she's suddenly surrounded by someone who has there's a very, very stark difference, you know, between her own life and the life of the person. And, you know, yes, you know, she wants to help, but I think the thing is, and, I, and this is what a lot of well-meaning people often do, she doesn't ask the people who are involved, how best, would you, how would you like me to help? <laughs> not, what, not my own conception of what I should do to help you, but first of all, do you want my help? And in this case, the person does want her help but how? how do you want want me to help? Um, And um, because that's actually how you can help people. (laughs) When you go to a context that's not your, the context that's not familiar with, you ask them, what would I do to make things better? Not tell them, this is what I'm going to do to make your life better. And you have to agree that it has made your life better after I've done
2: it. Yeah, asking seems like a good start rather than telling. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) Um, and I love that you also show us a few of Anna's siblings, uh, mm-hmm. her half siblings, but in Africa, that's, they don't <laughs> that's that. not,
1: Yes, this is me. <laughs> Tell me about what
2: they represent to her.
1: Mm. I mean, so for example, my mom is from a polygamous home. Um, so my grandfather, her father married four wives, um, so you know she has quote, and of course quite a few half siblings, but she doesn't talk about them as her half siblings. They're just they're her siblings. You know you share parents, they're her siblings. Um, <laughs> and so Anna is coming to discover this sort of new concept of family and this expansive concept of family that doesn't sort of divide lines into your nuclear family. And you know so coming from England, I think she would have said her family was. Um, Her family was her mother, her aunt, her grandfather. Mm -hmm. That's three people. And her mother is dead now. And her grandfather is also dead. Okay, so my mother, her grandfather, her aunt. And then Robert, until he cheated. I don't know if she still thinks of Robert as her family anymore. But okay, let's say pre-cheating, Robert and Rose. So that's five people that Anna would consider as her family. And, you know, she gets to Bamana and it's like, no, no, no. These are my siblings. These are your cousins. These are your these. These are your dad. You know, your 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 world of family is going to expand, and it's funny actually. Like I don't um I don't think think about it because it, it it's normal to you because that's what you grew up in. But you know, I have so many first cousins that lived with us when we were growing up. That's sort of how we grew up. You know, your your cousins, and it's funny the household the way I lived with my first cousins is how other people in the Western context live with their siblings, just their siblings. Um, and so, yes, we have such, that sort of family is a, is a compound affair, uh, it's, um, it's open, it's broad. Um, so yes, rich in family, definitely, rich in family.
2: And, and I like that that distinction matters less because it seems like a big preoccupation with the book and a big preoccupation of Anna's is hmm. Trying to separate things that might not be completely uh, no. Let me rephrase that. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, of trying to put things in neat categories. Mm. Um, that and and that the idea of that is not helpful. And mm-hmm. and of course, I don't think this gives anything away. Um, Kofi says that Anna's name um if he had been aware of her mm-hmm. would have been nana mm. which of course is an anagram mm. of anna <laughs> mm-hmm. tell me about that
1: symbolism mm, it's funny i realized it after it's my, my subconscious all our subconscious wow is my subconscious. this is
2: all anagrams <laughs> in your subconscious i love i that.
1: realized it after i so i didn't realize that nana was an anagram of Anna, until I got to the scene where she has that interaction with, I won't spoil it, but she has, she has an interaction, and the person points out that Nana is an anagram of Anna. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't, um, didn't realise this until I wrote it, um, and I was like, oh, that is so clever. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. then you kind of just see different versions of her mm-hmm. in different situations, and how they're all her no matter what you call her <laughs> yes exactly exactly and the same with kofi uh, mm. having been francis um this has been really wonderful before we go mm-hmm. can you please recommend some books for us
1: oh yes yes that is my favorite activity okay i will start with i always recommend this one when people ask me to recommend books Sefi Atta, S-E-F-I, Ata, A-T-T-A, Everything Good Will Come. Mm. And it's a novel about two childhood friends. It starts when they're girls and follows their life into teenagerhood, 20s hood, marriage, children. And it's just fantastic. If anyone's read the Neapolitan, sort of that quoted by Elena Ferrante, it's a similar thing, but... Steffi did it before Elena. Let me just put mm. that out there. And she did it in one book instead of four. So you sort of get the satisfaction of that sort of childhood to adulthood. But in one book. So I heavily recommend. Okay. Um, I would also recommend The First Woman by Jennifer Makumbi. And again, I, it's funny enough. I do like I like stories that have this sort of <laughs> that have this sort of arc. It starts off with the protagonist as a young girl in Uganda this time, and it follows her awakening to something called Wa Kanukano, which is an indigenous women's movement in Uganda. And so again it follows her from childhood to adolescence to when she's just about on the cusp of womanhood. Um, and then in the backdrop of this is. You know, the politics of Uganda, Idi Amin, and all of that. But it's very much so in the backdrop. The focus of the story is the protagonist, a girl called Kerabu. Um, yes, yeah, strike gearing.
2: That sounds wonderful. <laughs> Got two new books to order. Um, thank you so much, Chibundu. Again, the book is called Sankofa. Buy it, everyone.
1: <laughs> yes, please. <laughs>